On their way to Anvil and traveling by night, moving slowly and following starlight, Lupita, Tristan, Otis, Uncle Nietzsche, and Neve were more lost than any of them would dare to conceive. The air had a chill, and they kept brave best they could, unaware that something was lurking, moving closer through the woods. But before they have chance to lay down and nestle, it's time for Lops and Tops Halloween Special! Neve, um, I, I, I think it's this way. Um, no, no, no. You definitely said it was that way. Uh, west? Was it west? We're going east. Yeah, that's the yeah east. Uh, same thing. Um, but this says north. Mm, and I think yeah, I recognise this tree. Uh, yeah, but all trees look the same. Oh, actually, no. Hang on a minute. I think that is the same tree. That is the same. Um, do you want to tell them? No, let's no, no, no. just not tell them. No, no, let's no, just no. not it's tell fine. them. It's, it, it's fine. It's a different tree, I'm sure. We'll just Let's just get them to set up camp, and then we can figure out where we are, find our bearings. They're not going to know. Yeah. Okay. Um, guys, guys. Uh, hey, hey. Are we lost? No, 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 no. Um, so a good night's sleep, we're reckoning. Um, we're right on track. Um, we're lost, ain't we? No, we're not lost. We just need to set up camp. We, there's not much further we can go under these conditions. Let's just... Oh, I suppose it is getting rather dark. Exactly. Let's... Nietzsche, I told you they're reputable. They're Navari. We shall be fine. They wouldn't that. say that they knew where they were going if they didn't know where they were going. It's fine. Listen to the fine lady, says the man with the funny hat. Right, come on. Get all your stuff on the ox cart. Let's go. We need to get some feed set up for the... Ox? Yes, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get some feed set up for Bessie and then we'll, we'll, we'll set up camp. I, I, is anyone fancy a tale of true love? Oh, fuck it, Tristan. Oh, We've had enough scary. of your your oh. true love Dornish bullshit. What's wrong, what's wrong with a, a tale of true love? That sounds absolutely wonderful. I mean... Uh, right, well, how should we pass the time, then, Nicomo? Well, the woods are dark. It's eerie. Mm-hmm. We could talk about Lapita's terrifying prices, or... <laughs> <laughs> my pr- There's nothing wrong with my prices, I'll have you know. I'm a very honest woman. As, as a freeborn, of course I'm a very honest woman. Honestly extortionate. Oh, well. <laughs> if, if that's how... No, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> I do believe in the Empire it's uh, that time of year for the spookiest of stories. The most terrifying of tales. Oh. You, Navara, you've been here, there and everywhere, mostly because you're lost, but could you regale us with a uh, gruesome tale? Yeah, I have a story. When I was a young Navari, myself and other children were told this story. It's haunting, and it stayed with me throughout my travels. My grandmother would bring us all close and say, Remember the lost children? Very few of us do now, as it was so long ago. It was before the fall of Lyathaven. There was a small town, a collection of houses, really, built of sticks and clay where Navari lived. This town was deep in woodland, not too far from the town, where the forest grew thicker. There was a swamp, a bog and few Navari ever strayed into it. In this town, on an autumn evening, the story goes that a mother pulled her two sons inside their shack and gave them a severe warning. Listen here, 
You know what tonight is, she said. It comes once every 15 years. You are to be good, and above all else, stay inside. The older brother was barely old enough to remember the first time it came, and the youngest, to him, it was nothing but a fable. Deep in the black of that night, with no stars shining, a motion began to form in the mist. All had been warned, all were inside, and all were being good. Come now, spoke a voice, seemingly coming from the mist itself. Come and take a look. So many beautiful sights to see. So many rich places of unprecedented beauty. Come and take a look. The older brother peered through a crack in the walling to see something moving in the mist. Before he could make a definite shape of it, his mother snatched his head and turned it away. Without a word, his mother put a finger to her lips, her eyes wide with fear. Come on now, mountains, beaches, the finest fruits and all their juices. The figure blocked the moonlight from entering the cracks in the front door, as something solid slid under it, paper seemingly. Come on now, you know it makes sense, these trees, they take their toll. Have some sea, some snowy peak. Some golden sand, an endless meadow. The thing in the mist continued past all the houses until finally the mist lifted and the stars appeared again, as though they'd forgotten about the world for a time. The next day, the younger brother was playing outside with other children. Beaches over forests for me, trees do take their toll. They shared their pieces of paper which had been slid under the doors. The few pieces parents hadn't already destroyed. On them were etchings of far-off lands, beautifully sketched, really, as though taken from the eyes of someone enjoying a marvellous view, slightly amber in tint, and some had descriptions of the places on the back, mountains, meadows, beaches, that sort of thing. The younger brother felt a hand on his shoulder, and he was spun around. What are you singing? Don't sing that. Don't you dare. It's fine, said the younger brother. Look, look at these marvellous places, and it's all right. The trees do take their toll. He's right. I'm sick of them. Inside, now, shouted the older brother, ripping the paper from his hands. The younger brother strolled to the house, kicking earth and mumbling to himself. The children continued to sing, Mountains over forests for us, trees do take their toll. They giggled at the back of the older brother as he turned to walk home. Right, said the mother to them, as night approached. You are not to leave this shack tonight. You know what happens, don't you, in the coming nights? Yes said the older brother. The disappearing. That's right, but not here, not to us. We'll all sleep in the front room together tonight. She began to prepare some food. That night the older brother woke with a jolt. He turned and patted the cover which should contain his brother but nothing was inside. He called his name, but it only served to wake his mother who immediately called out twice as loud. Quiet, quiet, he shouted to hush his mother. Listen! A faint call came oozing through the fog and darkness. Whisked between the trees, it was his brother's voice. No, don't go, no, she cried, but it was useless. Her sons were gone. At a pace through the trees, the older brother sprinted. I can hear you, he cried. I'm coming. The earth beneath his feet turned from land to mush to sludge and then liquid. Vines tripped his every step as he began to slow. He looked forward to see a tree twisted and unnatural. He had reached the bog, but unsure how he had managed to get so lost. 
He could only guess the depth of the water surrounding the tree. Then a ripple came. Centering from the tree, emitting outwards, the ripple expanded until it met the brother's shins. Then a small wave. From the tree, moving outwards, the brother looked down as the small wave broke against his knees. When the brother looked back, the tree was moving. He looked at the bark to see it wasn't bark at all, but a deeply scarred flesh. The trunk was a body, twisted around itself and at the top, a head. A thick, dripping serpentine head atop a dark, oozing serpentine body. From its neck, other necks and heads had sprouted and surrounded it like the toxic spurs of some gangrenous mushroom. The hydra's eyes glowed amber. The older brother felt paralyzed by its glare. As the hydra moved slowly forward, the boy glided through the water towards it, his eyes equally amber, glowing and wide. The hydra opened its gaping mouth, revealing an abyss of a throat, lined by serrated teeth, each secreting venom. The older brother heard a familiar and haunting voice from inside the depths of the beast. Through its gaping mouth, he heard his brother, a voice which sounded just as entranced as he felt, a voice which sounded more of spirit than of the body, as it spoke. Meadows over forests forming, trees do take their toll. I think I'll need a drink after that one. Oh, well, I'm definitely not sleeping tonight now. It's just a fable. Yeah, though. it's not true, surely. Well... I mean, there was that one boy that we never saw again. Don't. <laughs> That's very good story. Yes, very good. Yes. Uh, I think we may be startling Tristan. No, don't be ridiculous. I've killed Surely the great Tristan isn't scared of precisely. such a tale. No, precisely. I've killed bigger things. What was that? That's <gasps> oh, okay. It's okay. It was just my belly. Oh. I've <laughs> <laughs> had three portions already. <laughs> yeah, well, three is not enough. When you're a keen adventurer like myself, you need to keep a good appetite, keep yourself strong and fueled. It is quite a nice stew. May I have a second serving? Of course. Yes, here you are. I'll label you up a big slop. Has anyone else got a story, a tale oh. to tell? Well, I suppose I could um, regale you with something I heard once upon a time in a tavern, which also includes some young boys and travelling off on adventures and getting reprimanded by their mothers. This is not that kind of an evening, Lupita. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure what you're referring to. Please, Wait, please. What, whatever I thought we were in polite company here. It's my mistake. Sorry, what do you mean? <laughs> Carry on, dear, it's fine. Ah, well, yes. Um, so, um, I'm not sure if the story's true, of course. I mean, we, we never know with these kind of stories. They very seldom are, I assume. I mean, I've yet to see any creatures. My tale's um, true, but please continue. Oh, you have a tale as well, do you? Course, we all have a tale. It's the Empire, but no, please. I suppose, please yes. And well, no changelings have tales. Do changelings have tales? No. What do you mean, Nietzsche? Oh, it might be something else I saw in that uh, tavern one evening. <laughs> I feel I've gotten rather lost. <laughs> Continue with Not it. as lost as us. Wait, we are lost? No. They no, confess. no, no, we're not lost. No. Oh, so you're also not following the conversation. I understand. Yeah. This is the one story that I picked up whilst I was actually travelling the first time. In fact, before I met you, I passed through some Rushkin territory and I heard some rather interesting tale about some monsters... In fact, when I, I heard of a tavern where a young boy came in pleading with all the patrons to help him. The monsters have taken my home and my family, he called out to anyone who would listen, supposedly. 
He insisted that these huge beasts, half human and half wolf, had attacked his farm, and he'd barely made it out alive. Apparently, he said, they've killed my father, and when they did, they breathed in his final breath and he came back, but not the same. He told of how his father's eyes had gone dead before he'd begun to attack the rest of the family. My mother shoved me out the back door and locked it just in time, and I just ran and ran for miles. I left my sister hiding in the bedroom cupboard. He'd begged and he'd begged for some strong folk to follow him back in hopes that he might find his sister still alive and hiding. Most told him he was being foolish, but some took pity on him, offering him food and drink. It just so happened at the time that a group of bravos were passing through and accepted his quest, with the promise of the farmer's hidden coin. The boy had assured him, apparently, that there were at least two thrones hidden behind a loose brick in the fireplace. The group set off and were never seen again. It was only days later that anyone heard what happened. A few of the village boys had grown curious, apparently, and travelled off in the direction that the boy had supposedly come from. They joked and played as they wandered through the woods in search of the nearby farmhouse, but a few hours later they returned back to the village as pale as ghosts. One of the mothers, upon hearing about the boy's foolish quest, reprimanded them for being so careless. You could have been eaten by husks, or worse, become husks yourselves. The youngest boy, her son, looked up at her with wide, terror-filled eyes and said, There were no husks, mother. It took a fair bit of prodding before the boys finally admitted what they had seen that day. No husks, no plague wolves, just a group of dead bravos covered in claw marks and feathers. The boy, it seemed, hadn't been a boy at all. All evidence seemed to suggest that it was in fact a mora, a bird-like shapeshifter, monster, leading the group of unsuspecting bravos to their deaths. Oh. Oh my. Now, of course, I don't know how true that story is, but it is quite the tale. Ah, what was that? Nietzsche, was that you? No, it's not me. Are you okay? Um, yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, not startled, uh... No, not even spooked. Bamboozled? Lost, no, what's the... I can't think of the word. Um, Tristan, you're you're all about glory and and pride and all of those beautiful things. Don't get started on that again. No, let's not have a story of honour, let's have a story of terror. I suppose I can give you both. Ooh. Oh, God. That sounds like a good compromise, I think. My kind of story. Yeah. This was, well, so, <clears throat> as you, as I've told you, I live on a farm. It was given to my father uh, for military, rewarded military service. And uh, given that we live in Semaholm, which is a particularly wild land, we have die beasts in the woods, which can frequently take livestock. Uh, sheep, cattle, uh, depending on the size of the beast. So you need to have people on hand who are there to defend the farm. Uh, that's primarily what I do. The numbers bore me. The counting potatoes bore me. But I like to defend on an evening. And I was speaking to one of our farmhands who's been in the game for a long time. Very old. Uh, white beard. But strapping as uh, he was when he was 30. So it had been... It was coming towards winter which is often the hardest time. Many of the beasts are hungry. A lot of the wild game has moved on, has, is thin on the ground. So the beasts, the wolves, the direwolves, start to encroach on our land. And so more and more sheep were disappearing. Not a massive problem, frustrating, I suppose, but we were uh, standing at their defence. The concerning thing was when people started disappearing. The direwolves, as he told me, and as I know, don't tend to take people. We are too difficult to deal with. 
We're not as tasty, I suppose, as farm animals. So it was instead time to investigate this creature. See if we can find it, track it down and finish it off before it made any more of a meal of us. So they set off into the woods to see if they could track it down. Uh, there was, I believe, ten of them heading off towards towards uh, the, the trail. They'd managed to track it somewhat. Poor thing, they thought, had a person, it sounds bizarre to say it, but almost as prisoner, because they saw human footprints alongside these canine footprints. And this old Dornish chap, you know, folk was telling me, he was leading this, he was he was experienced and talented even you know, all those years ago. He was telling me that all of a sudden he looked around and all his friends were gone. He hadn't noticed. One by one, nine farmhands taken. None, obviously, somewhat concerning. He said he was lost in those woods for a good two or three days. He couldn't find his way back. Some magic had clearly prevented him. He was, again, he knew the land, he should be able to get back. And he, again, he thought, well, this is clearly some wild beast I'm looking for. This isn't a... Well, this isn't just a normal wolf. Eventually, the beast tries to take him. He's in the woods, uh, resting again, go, almost going insane with the fact that how far he's been from home for so long. And the beast clearly takes this opportunity to pounce upon him, silent as the grave, he said, but his senses were keen. He caught it, grabbed his sword, and drove it into the beast and thought that would do it. But the creature pressed further on, driving down, pushing the sword further into it. Eventually, he managed to push it off and hide. The beast got bored and left, leaving behind a trail of blood, a trail to follow. And so he did so after he knew it had passed and he had time to prepare himself and recover from the minor injuries he'd taken to heal himself. He followed this trail. Eventually, he followed this trail of blood and he came to a cave. And he said the first thing that hit him was the stench. So he ventured in, went to see what he could find. A wolf, clearly with some old rotten meat or whatever. What he found was he described as a butcher's. But not, obviously, an actual butcher's, but human corpses had been hanged on hooks. As if being prepared for something. They'd all gone mouldy, rotten, They were. it was foul flesh, it had been there for days, clearly unpreserved and working away was a figure with a meat cleaver and a giant gaping wound in his back clearly this creature, this individual this person, had good senses and heard him coming and turned around and standing before him was a, a, a draugir man um, I don't know how much you know about Draugir, but they can eat rotten flesh. Now, this is not to say I've met many a pleasant Draugir. I'm friends with quite a few, you know. But the, this this Draugir looked like he had tasted human flesh and rotten human flesh and decided it was for him. With a smile, he grabbed a woven pelt from the wall, wrapped it around himself and lunged at this man. He said they fought for what felt like hours, but it couldn't have been so. And you saw as this 
It blurred between human and wolf as scratches were marked upon him, bites all across his body, until eventually he managed to drive it out of the cabin and drive his sword deep into its chest. The creature was dead, whatever they were. No one, I still don't know what magic, what that was, who could have done that, but he, well, he found his friends dead, unfortunately, on these hooks. No one still quite knows what that was, who they were, they didn't have a chance to find out, but the he was held glorious. There was many a, a noble house which uh, said he could enter their house or give him a test to show his glory, but he decided that he'd found glory enough and it was perhaps more than he needed for a lifetime. Oh my! Well, I yeah. hope that you're all armed as I'm not and that um, well, just just on the off chance that some creature like that might appear tonight, just just not that I'm awfully concerned, um, but just just on the off chance, it is quite dark. And... I'm sure we'll all be fine. I'm well armed and well practiced with the sword. Nietzsche, I'm sure you're pretty capable. As well. In fact, all of us are here, you're in safe hands. I, think I do this... have a fair amount of healing potions if if we should need. Yeah, well, I, I don't think we have to worry. I think the scariest bit about that story was that a Dornish man had enough glory for a lifetime. <laughs> Have you ever heard such a thing? Oh, you are quite right. There's no way that tale could be true. Also, How I'm sure, silly of me. I'm sure no one could sneak up to us. We're all fairly alert. Oh, this yes. Oh, yeah, of course. of course. I may sleep in a tree tonight, yeah, to keep a lookout. Don't you always sleep in a tree anyway, you Navari? We're Navari, we're not monkeys. <laughs> they have a tail right, right on. there. Uh, yeah. Neve, yes. Neve, have you a tail before this devolves any further? Yeah, I guess I could tell a tale. I mean, it's one that I very much blocked out of my mind because I got told it when I was a young child and it scared the absolute bejeebies out of me that I very much wished to forget it. Our but... parents insist on scaring their children. I think, I think <laughs> they believe it builds character. We tell much different tales as, as we're growing up. I think we just have really shitty childhoods, I'm not going to lie. Mm. <laughs> Fear tactics. The, the parents went to try and get them from nursery and got lost in the well, way. All the better for us. <laughs> we are not lost. <laughs> we are on track, I promise. Well, of course we're not lost. I've, why are you... I, I, these came highly recommended. You just didn't want to pay the extra throne for the actual qualified guy. Don't call me cheap, Nietzsche. Wait, wait you, we're getting paid? Please, yeah. sorry, Neve. Yeah. Please tell us your tale. So, a young girl was sitting on a fence at the edge of her family's farm. Her favourite goat, Lovebleat, who was unlike most goats she had known, had followed her to the edge of the property as she had smelt freshly baked bread in her pockets. This was always the girl's intention. She was sat focusing on her drawing when suddenly a huge cricket jumped onto her page. She jumped up with a small scream, throwing the page to the floor. Lovebleat stood there, bleated, and chewed the paper in her mouth. Ha! Lucky you're not as scared of bugs as I am, Lovebleat, the girl chuckled. As she bent down to retrieve the page from Love Bleat's mouth, a piercing scream came from towards the house. The girl with panic looked at Love Bleat and then began to sprint back towards the house. As she got closer, she could make out the shape of her father limping and clutching his leg in the distance, running from the side barn to the house and then through the front door. Now, his leg had been crippled for several winters and until now she had not seen him move this quickly. The girl carried on sprinting towards him, Bread falling out of her pockets, Lovebleat loyally ignoring it and sticking to her side. They both arrived at the front door and were greeted by her father. Well, what, 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 where's your mother? The father frantically asked. Well, I don't, I just, I don't, I heard and screamed and I ran, I don't, 
The girl was interrupted by her father's glare, staring straight over her head with a furrowed brow and an open mouth. Faye? The father spoke, all confused. Wait, Mum? Even more confused, the girl said, turning around to follow the father's gaze. On the edge of the property, far in the distance, exactly where the girl had been sat, leaning on the fence was a silhouette, dressed in a flowing, ripped nightgown, waving over the fields towards them. Her arm was moving slowly, yet rigidly, and seemed higher, or, or longer perhaps, but even more weird than it should have been. The girl couldn't make sense of it, but something definitely wasn't right here. Get out of my way, you stupid goat, the father said, kicking Lovely to the side to squeeze in between the two of them. Faye, is, is that you? W what are you doing out there? The father shouted. He turned to the girl. Why aren't you out there? Weren't you just there? How did you not see her? Just go, quickly, she's out there and it's getting dark and I'm not hobbling out there myself to go and get her. Go, he said. He turned away from the girl and squinted out towards the figure again. Something's wrong, maybe, perhaps, he uttered under his breath without confidence. The girl began to walk towards the figure. Mum, she shouted. The figure simply continued waving. She was too far away to make out a face, never mind any kind of facial expression. All she could see were strands of her red hair wailing madly in the wind as she took several more steps towards her. Come on, lovely, she said. Lovely didn't move. Come on, lovely, she demanded, patting her leg. Lovely blew air from her nose and slowly caught up with the girl. The girl had almost made it halfway across the farm when a thick root hooked itself around her foot and she fell to the ground. The girl stood, patted herself down to get rid of all the dusty clay from her dress and looked up towards her destination. She froze. Her spine became like ice and the back of her neck became the wind itself. Her eyes frozen open. She stared towards her mother. She was now close enough to see a smile on its face. And next to it, waving just as inhumanely, was her father, smiling and waving. She darted her gaze towards the house. No one was there. She slowly turned back facing the figures and started to take a step back. Come on, Lovely, she said, trying not to break contact with her parents. But Lovely was too busy chewing on the root and not much was stopping that and the girl knew it. The figures began to climb the fence, but not with their hands, but with paws of her hands. The puppets that were her parents' flesh and skeletons tossed aside like shedded coats. The hellhounds darted towards her at speed, with scorpion-like tails whipping behind them. Her mouth trembled open. M-m-manticore's love bleat, she whispered. R-we-we-run! She bolted as fast as she could, over the farm, past the house, over the gravel roads and through a river, not once looking back. She continued sprinting through acres of meadows until she had to stop and catch her breath. She remembered she had heard Lovebleat's hooves keeping pace with her for a while, but had forgotten where she had reached when they had lost contact with each other. She came to a small cabin, banging on the door. A young couple answered. Oh my goodness, exclaimed the woman. Look at you, you're terrified, are you okay? The girl couldn't speak. Oh, come inside, you're filthy, let's get you warm. The girl started stepping inwards. Wait, wait a minute there, the man said, looking over her head. Is, uh, is that your goat? Oh, lovely, she cried with relief. She spun around. Her smile was full and hopeful, but began to fade as, on the edge of the farm, 
too far to make out clearly, Lovebleat simply stood there, unlike most goats she knew, and waved. Oh my goodness. I've never known a goat to wave. <laughs> so, are there often manticores and hydras in the Navarro woods? We're warned about them when young. Is, is that your parents trying to keep you in line, perhaps? Didn't clearly work, did it? Perhaps I think they not. are real. I've heard tales of them. I've heard many tales, but not all tales seem to be true. Some tales are taller than others, I suppose. Yes. Right. You're the only one that's not told as anything. Surely yes. you can conjure a tale or two. Well, and maybe try and keep it, you know, tasteful. Well, I may have a story, though it isn't traditional. Isn't a traditional monster tale. So, everybody knows that magic is a huge part of the empire, right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, from the poncy high mages up in their towers to the battle mages who actually do shit and fight side by side with those illustrious troops of the empire fighting vicious Druge, honourable Jotun, and the the lawn menace. Anyway. Even your old, dear old Uncle Nietzsche knew magic at one point before losing it to alcohol and lack of studies. But, even for those not ingrained in the magical world, the high arts, there is that which is known as half magic. Now, many objects within the Empire have half magic. Simple trinkets, buildings, even items of clothing. But... In the League, there is one magical item that is more interesting than the rest. It may be perceived as a leagueish person's face. I am, of course, talking about the mask. Now, the masks are interesting, you see. They can portray a personality, uh, an emotion, wrath, pride, joy, merriment. They can perceive all of these things. But sometimes, a mask can take on traits of its own. I heard a tale that there was the Dockyard Slasher in Tosato. Now this person, or creature, went around cr uh, committing terrible crimes, butchery, befouling all imagination. Terrible, terrible acts. The barbarity was unknown. Dozens died to this brute on the street. It took years for the guards to finally track him down. Execute him. Hung, drew, and quartered the body, but one item escaped the terrible wrath and retribution, and that was the mask. Some say the mask has been found many times, going from owner to owner. But as the mask is found, these horrible acts are replicated a hundred times fold. The murder's getting worse, more elaborate. Blood sacrifices, torture, all sorts of horrible acts attributed to this mask. Passed down and down and down it goes, and the acts get worse and worse and worse. Some say people get so embroiled with the mask that they can't tell them own soul from the mask. My question is to you, my dear friends, is the true monster the soul inside the mask, or the person themselves? who get the hands on the mask and use it as an excuse to commit these horrible, torturous crimes. Not a long story, I know, but I want to, you to ask before we go to sleep, 
Is the magic the monster? Or simply us, the people? Well, I have a follow-up question before I would provide my answer. Do we have knowledge about what the mask looks like? Do you think that people have been in search of this mask and therefore gaining ownership? On that matter, where did you get your mask? Yes. Oh, my mask has been passed down from the Bandair family for generations. There's nothing wrong with this one. If, if I... you were to say that your mask carries a certain trait, what trait would you describe to it? Oh, I would say wisdom, of course. Uh, of course. <laughs> How, why would I even ask that question? So what does this mask look like? No one knows. Legend has. It appears as the person's deepest desires. For some, it will be bejeweled, looking elegant and tempting. For others, it looks simple and plain, religious, spiritual. And for some, the human remains of a child stitched to their face. The mask can come across as anything to anyone. It is said it reveals the soul of the person. If you were to see it, would you see it as whatever your heart most desired and therefore put it on? Is that is that... What you're saying? I mean, so mine right now would be a nice big bottle of honey mead, but... And you would put that to your face? I'll put it in my face. <laughs> oh! Of course. In fact, I did bring a bottle with me. H- hang on, let me get it out of my bag. Here you are. Perhaps we can share. I'll share it with you for a crown. Um, do you have a crown? Nietzsche, did you give them the money that you said that they wanted? Oh, uh, funny thing about that. The tavern owner back two stops ago is looking after their money. Did you know about this? Well, I didn't even know we were getting paid. This is why we're lost. We haven't been paid yet. We're lost? No, we're not lost. Why does everyone keep right, saying well, that? If you haven't received my payment, then perhaps Nietzsche... You Shh! Do you hear that? What? I didn't hear anything. Yeah, it must have been a crow. Right, well... Look, I will... look. Can we... I'll give you a crown. There you go. Enjoy. Absolutely. Well, I think we, we've had a rather a lot of fun tonight. I am quite getting tired... I hope that my dreams aren't haunted by all these monsters we've been <laughs> sharing stories about. I'm sure I'll be able to sleep well. Aren't monsters part of Navari lullabies, by the way? Um, hopefully. I'm sure you've been lured to sleep with tales of monsters before. <laughs> right, well, I think it's probably a good time to turn in. Uh, yes, And then perhaps. set off to Andal in the morning. Yeah, we're, yeah, we, we're we, very close. Which way is it again, Neil? Shh. Okay. We're very close. We're, we're on our... So, we... Um, We're nearly there. They slept fretfully that night and woke the next day and began to travel in entirely the wrong way. A figure approached closer and burst through the trees. (laughs) You might be going the wrong way, assuming you want to reach Anvil anytime soon. But it was just their friend Gwyn and his navigational expertise. They set off through the woods as fast as their legs would allow, leaving their fears behind them. At least only for now. (laughs) 